Bible reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, verses 14 to 29. Mark's Gospel, verses 14 to 29. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, we're absolutely delighted that you've joined us and I do hope by the grace of God that our talk this morning will be a blessing and an encouragement to you even as you continue in fellowship with the local church. Now friends, as the world continues to struggle with the fallout from the coronavirus, God is at work. Many people who've <coughs> never gone anywhere near a church 
are coming to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is all about Jesus. Um, It shows us who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how anyone today can know him personally and receive eternal life. So if our study today leaves you with questions and you'd like to talk to someone or even pray with someone, we'd be delighted to help. All you need to do is visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and on the home page you can leave your contact details on the contact tab and someone on the team will get back to you. But now as we begin, can I encourage you to have your Bible open at Mark chapter 6 beginning at verse 14 and uh, before we look at the text I'm going to ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we know that only when you open a door for the word into our hearts can your word enter and change us. And so we pray that as we come to your word now, that you would do that work of opening that door into the hearts of everyone listening. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in his autobiography, Billy Graham describes a conversation he had with President Kennedy shortly after his election. He says, uh, on the way back to the Kennedy house, the president stopped the car and turned to me. He said, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? I replied, I most certainly do. President Kennedy then said, my church claims to believe it but they don't tell us much about it, and I'd like to know what you think. So Billy Graham went on to explain what the Bible says about Christ coming the first time, uh, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and promising that he will return, and when he does, he'll bring in a perfect new creation. And uh, President Kennedy was absolutely gripped by that, and he said, well, we really must talk more about that someday. Well, a couple of years later, they arranged to meet and continue that conversation. But unfortunately, Billy Graham had the flu, so the conversation had to be rescheduled. And unfortunately, it never happened, because shortly afterwards, President Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, Everyone who was alive at the time remembers where they were when that assassination took place. It was a tragedy for his family, It was a tragedy for America, and it was a tragedy for the free world. But even more tragic than President Kennedy's death is the fact that during his life, he missed the opportunity to hear and believe the gospel from the lips of the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. Now that's the idea in our passage this morning. The characters, of course, are a little different. Because in Mark 6, we meet a couple who are so dreadful that they will make your own love life seem practically perfect. The man is King Herod. Uh, He's tragically weak and foolish. Uh, The woman is Herodias. She is tragically nasty and tough. Of course, the Bible gives us many examples of men and women who are deeply depraved, as well as men and women who are wonderfully rescued by grace. Now here, in order to understand the message, we have to start by looking at the context. 
Mark has been emphasising Jesus' ministry of the word. So we've seen Jesus speak to the storm and speak to the demon-possessed man and speak to the sick lady and speak to a dead girl. And his word has been the means of transforming situations of danger and hopelessness. And last week at the beginning of chapter 6, we saw Jesus sending out the twelve apostles to preach that same word. So please look with me at chapter 6, verse 12. Just listen to this, and I really do want you to focus on this. Mark is speaking about the apostles, and he says, They went out and preached. Now that's pretty simple. But look then at chapter 6, verse 30, which is also about the apostles. Mark says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they returned and they reported. Again, that's pretty simple. But smack in the middle of this going out and coming back is the murder of John the Baptist by Herod and Herodias. Now, if Mark is carefully arranging his material, and we think he is, why on earth would he put this gruesome incident here? You see, in our series, um, we're learning to read our Bibles with an eye to the argument of the text. We don't want to get so bogged down in the details that we don't pick up the main thrust. I mean, anybody with almost no preparation can stand up and point out the details. But we ought to be asking not simply what the text says, but why it says it. Uh, Why would Mark put this event of John being killed between the going out of the twelve and the coming back of the twelve? Well, I suppose, looking at verse 16, for example, you might think it's because Herod thinks Jesus is John resurrected. So this is all about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's obviously not John. And he's obviously not one of the Old Testament prophets. So this is all about Jesus. And that's not wrong. Or perhaps looking at verse 29. You might say, well, at the end they put John's body in a tomb. So this is a preview of what's going to happen to Jesus. And again, that's not wrong either. It's just not the main thrust. So think again, will you, about the mission of the Twelve. What are they doing? Well, they're giving people the opportunity to hear, believe, and have eternal life. Now, what's happening in verses 17 to 29 when John is speaking to Herod? Well, he's giving Herod the opportunity to hear, believe, and have eternal life. But Herod misses his opportunity, even though he likes fine preaching, and he likes listening. Uh, We're told that, aren't we, in verse 20. Herod liked to listen to John, but he wastes his opportunity. However, Herod, uh, Herodias rather, notice uh, she also has an opportunity. Uh, She has an opportunity to silence the preacher And she seizes it so fast, it's terrifying. So can you see the big picture? Uh, Here are the apostles giving people the opportunity to hear. 
And now here is John the Baptist giving Herod the opportunity to hear. And Herod loses his opportunity and Herodias seizes the opportunity to silence the preacher permanently. Herod wastes his good opportunity but Herodias seizes her evil opportunity with both hands. Now just as an aside, in case you think all the Herods in the Bible are the same, let me tell you there are four different Herods in the New Testament. Uh, There's Herod the Great, (coughs) who was around at the birth of Jesus and wanted to kill him. And uh, this is the Herod in our passage. His extra name is Antipas. He kills John the Baptist. And a little bit later, in the book of Acts, you have Herod Agrippa I. Uh, He attacked the apostles. He had James beheaded and Peter put in prison. And then a little later in the book of Acts, you have Herod Agrippa II, who listened to the Apostle Paul preach, and he trembled. Now, the Herod, in our passage this morning, uh, lived between 20 BC and about 40 AD. He was part Jewish. He came down the Esau line. He would have liked to think that he had a distant link to Abraham. He married his brother's wife, who turned out to be his niece as well. And he listened to John's preaching, but he never did anything with it. He never acted on what he heard. And, of course, you know from this incident that when the girl dances and uh, Herod is forced into a corner, he very feebly makes the decision to have John killed. But even after he's killed John the Baptist, His conscience has not been killed because Jesus begins his ministry and the apostles go out and Herod is frightened. He thinks that the Jesus that he's hearing about must be John the Baptist raised from the dead and returned to haunt him. Uh, It's interesting to note that Herod Antipas lived long enough to meet Jesus personally because at the very end of Jesus' ministry In Luke 23, Jesus comes face to face with Herod. And uh, you might remember that Herod was pleased to see Jesus because he was hoping that he might perform a miracle for him. But it's very clear in Luke 23 that Herod has lost his opportunity. He asks Jesus lots and lots of questions, but Jesus spoke not one word in reply. So it was all over for Herod. So this morning I want to look with you at the opportunity that was built into the ministry of Jesus and built into the ministry of the apostles, which came to Herod then and which still comes to men and women today. And I want to look at this under two headings. Uh, The headings are rather long, I'm afraid, but the first is this that God in his kindness gives people opportunity to believe. God in his kindness gives people opportunity to believe. Now this is the character of God. This is the nature of God. This is actually the delight of God. As I've said before in his marvellous book on preaching, John Stott reminds us that God is light God delights to reveal himself. And so I want you to notice in these verses that 
not only has there been some public preaching by Jesus and the apostles but there's also been some private preaching to Herod as well so look with me at verse 18 for example it says John had been saying to Herod now that means John didn't just say it once he said it again and again what did he say? he said your marriage is unlawful so this wasn't a people pleasing sermon Uh, unlike some preachers today John wasn't trying to say what Herod's itching ears wanted to hear Uh, although interestingly Herod was intrigued by it wasn't he? he liked to listen but you see what John wanted Herod to do was put away the sin that would eventually kill him so that he would be in a position to take hold of Jesus Christ because you see there has to be some repenting if there's going to be any believing now this is the point here's the whole point that even Herod had the opportunity to hear, believe and receive eternal life and that was the kindness of God even Herod adulterous, sadistic perverted Herod had an opportunity to put away his sin and take hold of Christ because in his kindness Almighty God gives people opportunity to believe now of course we question this I question this and I guess you question it as well does God really give all people these marvellous opportunities what about people in remote places Uh, what about people with limited ability what about people in a country like North Korea what about people who've got no Bible, no church and no missionary what about people (coughs) who've been indoctrinated with every evil kind of world view but not the gospel now the point that I want to make to you is this that not everybody has the same opportunity but everybody has some opportunity the Bible says quite clearly in Psalm 19 that God's creation preaches God's glory in every country throughout the world it goes on to say that there is no language barrier every single person on planet earth has this opportunity and once a person begins to seek which is itself a miracle God encourages the seeking and he rewards it so certainly in Cape Town no one will be able to stand before almighty God on the last day and say I had no opportunities no one in Cape Town will be able to say that but in every country God graciously uses a million different methods to give people opportunities opportunities that we would marvel at if only we knew about them so recently for example I heard the testimony of a lady who is today the professor of New Testament at St. Peter's University in Russia Uh, as a little girl she was a keen reader and uh, one day she said to her father I would like to read the New Testament now this was before the Iron Curtain came down so the father said look that's impossible there are no Bibles in Russia but a friend of his was a customs official 
who'd recently confiscated a Bible from a Christian tourist. So the customs official gave the Bible to the girl's father who gave it to his daughter and she began to read the New Testament. This is her testimony. She says, When I began to read the New Testament, I was one person. When I finished reading the New Testament, I was another person. Now, I want to invite you to think very carefully about what actually happened there. The person who had their Bible confiscated by the customs official must have thought, Oh no, I wish that hadn't happened. Not realising that God was at work to make sure that that Bible ended up in the hands of the little girl who would become a Christian and go on to take a, pos a position as Professor of New Testament in a university teaching Christianity to hundreds and thousands of Russians. And I guess we could multiply that marvellous story again and again and again. But I don't want you to let the sovereignty of God kill your initiative. I mean, it is very easy, isn't it, for any of us to sit back and say, well, someone else can do this. God can do this. Rather, we should say, since there is a sovereign God at work, using people even like us, we want to be his instrument. That ought to be a daily prayer for every Christian, that we might be an instrument of God, trusting him to use us to say something, whether it's in answer to a question or whether it's a sermon, to give people an opportunity to hear and to believe. So, God in his kindness gives people opportunities to believe. But we also have to say that although God gives people these opportunities, people are marked by deep, deep resistance. Herod, of course, is a classic example. Uh, there's this intense battle going on, isn't there, in Herod's heart and mind. He's heard John preach. He's got no real case against John. Actually, in verse 20, we're told that he feared John. He knew him to be godly. He knew him to be righteous. He was even protecting him because he didn't want his wife to get her hands on him. And we're told that Herod liked to listen. Now, I have no doubt that there was a certain excitement in listening to this very gifted preacher, uh, just as some people used to go and listen to Billy Graham because he was such a powerful speaker. But many people went, you see, without really hearing the message or believing or being transformed. And this is Herod. He's listening to John the Baptist, who must have been an astonishingly brilliant preacher. But at the same time, Herod is saying to himself, I've got this sin in my life and I absolutely refuse to give it up. So he wouldn't obey the word of God. He wouldn't respond. And he thinks in his own mind that he's sitting on the fence. But what actually happens at the party? It's his party, remember that. He's completely in control. But he thinks in his mind that the fence is going to be taken away. And we know the details of this account. Uh, films and uh, plays have been made about it. But Herod has this big birthday party, all the top brass are there. And a girl comes out and dances, and we assume that it's an erotic dance. And uh, in a heated moment of lust, 
Herod makes this ridiculous promise that he'll give the girl anything. And quick as a flash, her mother says, we'll have John's head. Suddenly then, Herod is forced to silence the voice of John the Baptist. And because of the sin of his illegal marriage, and because of his fear, he was afraid of his wife, he was afraid of his friends, and because of his promise, by the way, there are times when you should break a promise if, you'd, you, if you should never have made it in the first place. Because of those things, Herod actually loses the opportunity that God has so graciously given to him. So there's the first thing this morning. That God in his kindness gives people opportunity to believe. And the second thing this morning is this. That people in their cleverness seize opportunities for personal advantage. People in their cleverness seize opportunities for personal advantage. See, people like us seize opportunities that are in our own best interests. And Herodias is a classic example. Uh, do you see that in verse 21? Just look at verse 21. It says, finally, the opportune time came. Now, whose opportunity was it? Well, it was Herodias' opportunity. And uh, when she's asked what to choose, look at verse 24. She says, the head of John the Baptist. And uh, verse 25 says that the girl hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me right now, notice those words, right now, immediately, no ifs and buts, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It was so quick. And I think you see that Mark is reminding us that deep in our human nature, when we see what we want for ourselves, we are brilliant at seizing the opportunity. When it comes to the things of God, people are astonishingly slow. So we're slow to organise our prayer life. We're slow to organise our Bible reading. We're slow to take the opportunity to read good Christian books. But in the things that we want for ourselves, we are lightning fast. Uh, I thank God for clever businessmen. I know a few of them. But clever businessmen have the opportunity, you see, to sit in a board meeting where things might be going against them, but they're so clever that they can see what must be done. And quick as a flash, their argument wins the day and things move forward. Or think perhaps of a top sportsman. He might not have had the greatest education. He might not be very sophisticated. But suddenly he receives two offers, one modest, one large. And without a moment's hesitation, off he goes. He seizes the opportunity. Or think of a family. Uh, in these difficult days, they're trying to maximise their income. That's not a wrong thing. But some members of the family are saying, well, look, if spiritual things need to be set aside for a period, that's what we've got to do. Because right now, that's what's in our best interests. Now, that's really what's going on in Mark chapter 6. A gracious opportunity given by God is lost and an intoxicating opportunity offered by the world, the flesh and the devil is seized with both hands. 
And Mark is asking us in this section to think about the mission of God in terms of opportunity with these two characters in mind, Herod and Herodias. And he wants us to take them as a double warning. So we're not to be like Herod, who misses the gracious opportunity God gives him, and we're not to be like Herodias, who seizes the opportunity to do something evil for her personal advantage. And I want us to take two lessons away from this. Uh, As I was preparing, I was thinking, what should I take away for myself from the death of John the Baptist? Well, first, I want to say something to those of you who are Christians and involved in some way in the mission of God, uh, helping to get the message of Jesus out into the world. I want you to notice that God is at work in thousands of ways, all the time, using people like you and me. And therefore, we are not to lose heart, because God has got incredible ways of establishing his word. Because you see, the lesson in Mark 6 is that God is at work even in places like Herod's palace. Places that you and I could never get into and that even if we tried. But please remember, will you, that uh, when John the Baptist is killed, notice this, the message is not silenced. Because when John the Baptist is killed, Jesus begins his ministry. When Jesus is crucified, the message is not silenced because the apostles' preaching ministry begins to take off. We read about that in the book of Acts. And when the apostles have died, the message is not silenced because the church takes the message of Jesus all the way around the world. It just keeps on going, just as it is in Iran right now when a a revival has uh, broken out, which is wonderful. Because God will make sure that his message keeps on going until the last day. So we need to take heart knowing that God is at work in thousands of ways using people like us. And we also need to take courage from John. Because you see, you might find yourself talking to someone about Jesus and their face is signalling to you that they are totally offside they're just not interested but their conscience just like Herod's conscience is actually onside they know deep inside that what you're saying is the truth because it's being said with integrity it's being said with weight and like Herod their conscience is telling them that But then secondly, I want to say to some of you who are listening, and there will be some, who listen to sermons, perhaps many sermons, but there's been no conversion. There's been no transformation. Uh, You've been listening quite happily, perhaps remembering the stories and some of the illustrations. You've been listening respectfully, but there's been no conversion. And I want to suggest two things to you this morning. First, You need to get rid of what you know is standing in the way of you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll be aware that there is something that has to be dealt with, has to be changed, has to be removed. 
Because you see, there's not going to be any peace between you and Almighty God until you get rid of whatever it is that stands between you and Him. And therefore, to use the Bible word, you need to repent. If there's anyone listening this morning, and like Herod, you have a secret immoral life, you've got to repent of that, or you've got no hope, you've got no future. If there's some dishonest practice in your life, you've got to repent of that. If you find yourself telling lies and you feel no compunction about that whatsoever, you've got to repent of that. And if you're worshipping your work and neglecting your family, or if you're worshipping anything apart from the Lord Jesus, you need to repent. And if you're holding back what actually belongs to God and you think it belongs to you, you've got to repent of that. And if you're, you're pretending to be a Christian, but you're not actually a Christian, you need to repent of that. And if you're proud and you think, well, I'm never going to bow to the Lordship of Christ, you need to repent of that, or you have no future. You need to take that sin, and you need to put it in a bin as decisively and deliberately as you put out your bins week by week. It's got to go. Because only when it's gone will you be in a position to welcome Christ. But then secondly, I want to tell you about a man who became a Christian because he heard somebody reading Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. That famous verse, which actually in the original is addressed to a church, but applies equally to an individual. Because in that verse, Jesus says... <coughs> Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the man said, someone read that verse to me. And then he said, on which side of the door is Jesus Christ for you? Uh, do you know that Jesus Christ is on the other side of the door and not yet welcomed? Well, he's got to be welcomed. Now, some of you may have been going to church for decades, but Jesus Christ is still on the other side of the door. But if you know that Jesus Christ is on this side of the door, well, he's saying, I haven't come to destroy you, I haven't come to ruin you, I've not come to bore you, I've come that you and I might have fellowship and feast together. Now, friends, that is my message to you this morning. That you need, if possible before the day is over today to make sure that the Christ who is standing on the other side of the door is standing on this side of the door and that you and he are in fellowship together and that you put away decisively the obstacles that stand between you and God. Now the wise person seizes that opportunity. Uh, the weak person of course like Herod can't make a decision. Uh, they're always procrastinating, uh, checking, uh, hoping someone else will decide for them. The foolish person, well, of course, they make foolish decisions. But the wise person makes this one crucial decision and then so many other decisions quickly fall into place. So let's pray together. Our gracious God, we, we thank you that you give opportunities to people like us. 
We ask that you would wonderfully enable each person listening this morning to seize the opportunity of Christ and eternal life. We know that we're living in a world where we may seize foolish opportunities so quickly and we pray that you would have mercy on us and enable people to give up what will in the end destroy them. Please hear our prayer. Help us to keep going with the gospel and please help those you've chosen to receive it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.